This is one of the craziest stories today. Right, so there's this local reporter, Bruce Willingham. He's in McCurtain County in Oklahoma. And he suspected that county officials were having secret meetings, so he just left his recording device behind. And he ends up catching way more than he expected. With Bruce identifying the sheriff, a local commissioner, and a member of the sheriff's department discussing hiring a hitman to kill both him and his son, Chris, another reporter, and burying them. I've known two or three hitmen that were very quiet guys. Yeah. And would cut no mercy yeah. in Louisiana. Because it's all mafia around yeah. here. Oh, yeah. yeah, but here's the reality. If a hair on his wife's head, Chris Willingham's head, or any of those people that really were behind all that, if the hair on their head got touched by anybody, who, who would be the bad guys? Yeah. They're insignificant in my life. Goes around, goes around it. It will. I told you it will. Yeah. I know, I know we're two big deep holes are here. I kind of asked about it. These are our three duds. And in the same recording, there's a discussion about the number of people running for sheriff, and this is the response from the commissioner. I don't know, 10 or 12 people running for sheriff. I said, let's get 20. We're not thankful for that. They don't have a goddamn clue what they're getting into. I'm going to tell you something. If we're back in the day, would that like when Alan Marshall take a damn blackjack, whoop their ass and throw them in the cell, I'd run for the chair. Yeah. Well, it's not like that no more. I know. <laughs> take them down here on, on Mud Creek and hang them up with the damn rope. But you can't do that. About it, they got more rights than we got. Now, a key thing here, other media outlets covering this story said they could not independently verify who the voices on the audio belonged to. And Chris, who's discussed in the audio, is the one who wrote the piece transcribing the recordings. But for now, we've seen Oklahoma's governor calling for the official's resignation, saying, I am both appalled and disheartened to hear of the horrid comments made by officials in McCurtain County, and adding there is simply no place for such hateful rhetoric in the state of Oklahoma, especially by those that serve to represent the community through their respective office. I will not stand idly by while this takes place. But I'm also saying he's going to call on the state authorities to open an investigation into any illegal conduct. And Bruce reportedly turning the full recording over to the FBI and the Oklahoma Attorney General's office. So keep in mind, this is still a developing situation. We're going to wait to see what happens, but this is insane. Unfortunately, not surprising, but still insane. And then some of Andrew Tate's accusers are now crowdfunding to sue him. These three women are based in the UK and actually filed abuse and sexual assault complaints on him back in 2014 and 2015, with him eventually being arrested twice in the case moving to Crown Prosecution Services in 2019. But as Vice reported, the CPS decided not to prosecute finding that there was, quote, no realistic prospect of a conviction, despite the evidence in one complaint, including a message from Tate that read, I love raping you. And the three women are now crowdfunding on a platform called Crowd Justice, raising over 8,000 pounds out of their 50,000 pound goal with 25 days left in the campaign. And then writing on the page, we believe that many of his victims have yet to come forward and it is time for the English justice system to hold him responsible for his actions. And explaining they plan on encouraging a criminal investigation in the UK while pursuing a civil case against Tate, saying they hope this might empower other victims of his abuse and adding, we want to show them that we as survivors can stand up to him and that every Every one of his despicable acts has consequences. Our goal is to reveal his true face in a UK court and prevent other women from becoming his victims and to release impressionable young boys from his toxic hold. And as far as what Tate has had to say, he has denied the allegations these women have levied at him in the past. And this, of course, is he's also denying the sex trafficking allegations against him in Romania, for which he's currently under investigation and house arrest for. And then Nintendo's on the warpath again, this time with copyright bringing down the hammer on the large video game creator by the name of Point Crow, who makes content about Nintendo games, with four of his videos showing a multiplayer mod for Breath of the Wild being hit with copyright claims. Point Crow then challenged them, and Nintendo responded by instantly going nuclear and escalating it to copyright strikes, which is a whole legal process that means that lawyers had to get involved. And rather than submitting one strike against these four videos, they stretched them out into two strikes, which is a key thing because three strikes and you're out. Point Crow's channel has also been hit with serious restrictions, and since then, Nintendo's claimed another 20 plus videos from his channel, and it's not just Zelda footage. And from Point Crow's perspective, this doesn't make any sense. Are the videos in question, which included both vanilla and modded versions of Nintendo games, followed Nintendo guidelines, making him and others feel like Nintendo's enforcement of its rules is sporadic and unclear. Or beyond being protected by fair use, Nintendo's content guidelines also allows for his content via Let's Plays and other creative uses of Nintendo games and videos. You might argue that modded content is in violation of these guidelines, but historically that's not the case. 
the terms of service for the legend of zelda says you cannot modify the game but it also says that you cannot stream it uh, you cannot make videos of it and you cannot otherwise broadcast it a nintendo's game content guidelines changes this though by providing a license on top of the existing terms of service which modifies the terms of service for content creators. He also lays out how, and this is a very key thing, even if he's in the right and wants to appeal Nintendo's DMCA claims, it might cost him millions to fight. That risks my channel, my livelihood, and the livelihoods of my team. Right, and with all this, it's led some to suggest that Nintendo here, they're just retaliating against him for publicly releasing the Breath of the Wild multiplayer mod. So you have people saying, if the mod is the issue, sue him directly, but if you're all of a sudden going after his YouTube channel, that's just this weird, separate, petty thing. Well, in the gaming community, this has gotten a lot of attention, people making solo videos on it, people like Moist Critical speaking on it, being particularly annoyed by the situation, talking about how Nintendo is really only consistent and in being inconsistent with how they treat creators. You can also see that people kind of feel hopeless here, because Nintendo historically just does Nintendo and does listen to anybody. But also at the end of the day, I think it's clear why Nintendo doesn't listen. One, because they don't genuinely care about the creator community that's built around Nintendo. And two, people are still gonna buy the fucking game. They've got heroin in video game form. They got us when we were kids. I played The Legend of Zelda, I think when I was five, which means Nintendo's had their hooks in me for 32 years. And rightly or wrongly, they see anything that they are not behind immediately as a threat that needs to be squashed. I often think it's wrongly, but the situation is as it is and we'll see how it develops. And then Jinian got arrested while live streaming. Right last week, he tweeted that he had a warrant for his arrest in Houston. He kind of started trolling the Houston police, almost daring them to arrest him. With the warrant being for criminal trespassing, seemingly connected to a prank video that he did with another creator where he interrupted a professor's class to profess their love for her. But she uh, clearly did not want them there and called either security and the police to get them out of her class. And so what we ended up seeing was Gideon going live over the weekend. Seemingly he got pulled over for speeding and then boom. Once he runs my name, they're gonna see the warrant. I haven't paid off my warrant yet. And it's ridiculous because I could have went yesterday, but I want to make a video for you guys. Also saying at one point that he gets pulled over a lot, but the officer eventually getting him out of the car and bringing up the warrant. I was just going to give you a warning, but they they want to place a hold, so you had to come with me. If you put your phone in your pocket, man, I'm, I'm going to have to put you in handcuffs. With all that leading to the best moment of this live stream, uh, Gideon asking the officer a question. Is it cool if I get a thumbnail? A who? A thumbnail? Before you put the handcuffs on? And a little after you see the officer cuff him and Gideon closing the stream. Though he since posted on his Instagram story suggesting he's free now. What interesting times we live in. And then, are you happy with the state of streaming right now? And I ask because according to new surveys, half of people say they pay too much for streaming and one third say they plan on cutting back on how many services they subscribe to. In fact, many say they've already made changes to their subscription habits with 47% saying they made the change because of their current economic conditions. This including canceling a service to save money, switching to a free ad-supported version of a service, or bundling services. With roughly 60 of households using a free ad-supported version of a streaming service. And on average, American consumers paying $48 per month on video subscriptions. Also, a key thing is that there are different habits for different generations. Millennials on average spend the most on monthly streaming services, but they also churn through those subscriptions at the highest rate and are more likely to cancel subscriptions for gaming and music. And half of millennials and Gen Z say they prefer user-generated video feeds to streaming, specifically noting that those apps are free, convenient, and easy to cater to their interests. But honestly, who knows what the hell the future of streaming is going to look like? With the rise of Netflix and other services, we saw the massive decoupling from TV subscriptions. And now it feels like every month there's the announcement of a new merger, right? Like it wouldn't be shocking if we're a year away from Hooflix Max Plus Premium, a Disney company. And then for any of you focus on getting your business off the ground, creating a place to share your homemade goods, new favorite hobby, current obsession, or 
even a personal blog to get all those thoughts out of your head, I've got a great solution for you. And it comes in the form of the fantastic sponsor of today's show, Squarespace. You know, I've been partnering with Squarespace for years now, and I have to say, it's just so easy. There's nothing to install, patch, or upgrade. And creating a beautiful website with Squarespace's all-in-one platform has never been so simple. It's incredibly intuitive and easy to use. Plus, with their mobile-optimized websites, your content automatically adjusts so it looks great on any device. Plus, with Squarespace, you get access to all their marketing tools and analytics and their award-winning customer care team via email or live chat 24-7. So go check it out. See why so many others love it, why you're going to love it and go ahead and start your free trial today over at squarespace.com slash phil when you realize you love it just make sure you enter an offer code phil to get 10 percent off your first purchase and then don't be stupid stupid that's what people are saying right now about 21 year old josiah garcia who's a member of the air national guard in tennessee because josiah was looking online for a side gig he wants some extra cash to support his family and all of a sudden he comes across a website called rentahitman.com a website that as it turns out started as a jokey ad for a cybersecurity startup but when that startup failed the site was actually getting requests for murder for hire services so the admins just transitioned it to a parody site, complete with fake testimonials from people who used the service and loved it. And Garcia apparently not only thought this website was actually real, he applied for a job. And over the course of a month, he submitted his resume, identification, his work experience as an expert marksman with the National Guard, his home address, and a headshot. Garcia even reportedly saying in a follow-up email, I'm looking for a job that pays well related to my military experience shooting and killing the marked target so I can support my kid on the way. What can I say? I enjoy doing what I do, so if I can find a job that is similar to it, such as this one, put me in, coach. The FBI then got involved with an undercover agent offering Garcia a $5,000 payment to kill someone, and Garcia allegedly accepted, leading to his arrest. And Garcia now facing up to 10 years in prison if he's found guilty. Which is again why I say, don't be stupid, stupid. Though in other news, if I had a family member that did what Colin McCarthy did, I would probably need the services of rentahitman.com. Because Colin reportedly went to his local bank in Oregon, drained his joint bank account that he had with his family, taking around $200,000, with him not even having the decency to spend that money on drugs and sex workers like a decent degenerate. Instead, driving onto the highway and then just throwing the money out the window, which caused the obvious dozens of people stopping and combing the side of the road for cash. Please then getting called because it's all caused so much traffic. They reportedly asked him to stop, saying that it was dangerous for people to be wandering the shoulder of the freeway after dark. But here's the thing, McCarthy hasn't been arrested or cited with any crime. Right, granted, officers said they're considering slapping him with a disorderly conduct charge for the trouble that he caused on the freeway. But unfortunately for McCarthy's family, they're just SOL because the account was legally shared. So even though it's known that all of that was not his money, the authorities can't do anything. Though they did request anyone who picked up the money, please bring it in so the family can have it. Which, call me a cynic, not gonna happen. And then, you've got this Texas lawmaker looking to create vigilante migrant hunting squads. Where you've got GOP State Representative Matt Schaefer trying to push through HB 20, a bill that would form what he calls the Border Protection Unit, a new security force not just of law enforcement personnel, but of private citizens, with all of them directly answerable to the governor, and its stated mission being to arrest, detain, or deter individuals crossing the border. So we've seen Democrats dubbing this the Vigilante Death Squads policy, saying that the people most likely to join something like this would be extremists, and arguing that this does nothing to address the fentanyl crisis, which this bill is supposedly meant to help solve. Right, because most illegally trafficked fentanyl comes to the U.S. through ports of entry, not between them where most migrants cross. And it's not like a 60-40 split. CBP data shows that more than 90% of fentanyl comes through the ports. And U.S. Sentencing Commission data showing that 86% of defendants convicted of smuggling fentanyl through those ports are U.S. citizens. And that probably because the checks they have to undergo are less stringent than those for migrants. And when Schaefer was pressed on this during a hearing last week, he acknowledges some people believe that data, but said that others, without specifying whom, say a lot of it comes between the borders. And adding, but I think in a way it's distinction without a difference. Which is why you have people saying that he's choosing his feelings and anecdotes over facts. But with this, one of the things we ended up seeing is over several hours, around 300 other people poured in from around Texas to testify, nearly all of them against the bill, with many calling it racist, xenophobic, and authoritarian. One activist just calmly ripping into it. If you believe this policy would serve as a deterrence for migration, I'm sorry, it won't. 
Drug cartels will take advantage of this bill's bottlenecking effect, where migrants will be prime targets for violent attacks, potentially leading to an increase of drug and human trafficking. But as far as what happens from here, you know, we're gonna have to wait to see what happens if it passes. But if it does, a big key thing is that this could feed into a Republican legal fight to overturn a 2012 Supreme Court decision that struck down a similar set of policies in Arizona. And then another day, another country being ripped apart by a civil war with this time it being Sudan. So if you don't know, Sudan's one of the largest and poorest nations in Africa. And while it's unclear who fired the first shot, fighting between the government and a paramilitary group broke out on Saturday morning. The capital there, Khartoum, getting rocked by gunfire and explosions straight through Monday as mortar rounds and artillery fire pounded the city. You've got warplanes flying overhead. You can see satellite photos showing smoke rising from Khartoum's airport, the railway authority, the energy and defense ministries, and general command of the army. The violence also spreading out beyond just the capital, with gunmen reportedly looting hospitals, government offices, compounds, and warehouses belonging to aid groups in the UN in the region of Darfur. According to a UN envoy, there were at least 180 dead today, with the head of the doctors' union also saying three major hospitals had been struck, a fourth was evacuated, and two more relocated their patients after backup generators failed adding that some workers hadn't slept in 48 hours and saying, we are on the brink of collapse of the entire healthcare system. Supplies are running very low. We issued an appeal asking for intravenous fluids for blood and medicines. Meanwhile, the UN World Food Program temporarily paused its operations on Sunday after three of its Sudanese staffers were killed, which is already horrible news, but it's absolutely devastating for the 15 million people who don't have enough to eat, making up a third of their population. Or because as mentioned, Sudan is extremely poor with its people on average earning just $750 per year. But as far as this current conflict, it finds its roots in the 2019 political settlement that saw 30-year President Omar al-Bashir ousted from power. Right after months of street protests by pro-democracy activists, the army arrested him and formed a joint civilian-military government. Then in late 2021, the military half of the government seized power in a coup, promising to restore order until a democratic transition could be completed. But since then, Sudan's been run by a council of generals led by the two men at the center of this weekend's violence. One, the de facto president and head of the country's armed forces, and the other, that man's deputy and the head of the roughly 100,000-strong paramilitary force called the Rapid Support Forces, or RSF. With that group being huge influential, having intervened in Yemen and Libya with its leader controlling some of Sudan's gold mines, and its presence as a power center outside of the regular military created tension within the government, though both men signed a draft deal back in December to carve a path towards civilian leadership. But that has clearly fallen apart, with activists saying it elevated the RSF leader to a threat by making him an equal to the president, as well as failing to resolve friction over the planned integration of the RSF into the country's military. So you had nerves already on edge, but then last week, RSF forces redeployed around the country in a move that the army perceived as a threat. And so now, stability looks unlikely to return as both men blame each other for the fighting and both men refuse to negotiate with the other. Which is exactly what we saw yesterday afternoon when they agreed to a three-hour humanitarian ceasefire only for locals to say the fighting never actually stopped. Also, as far as the international response, we've seen many Western nations and regional governments calling for an end to the violence. But there, I mean, Sudan's been largely cut off from the rest of the world since 2021, so there's really not much leverage. Though, if we did see anyone in a position to exert pressure, it's probably Moscow, which backs the RSF, or Egypt, which backs the military. But that's where today's show is going to end. Of course, I'd love if you were part of that conversation in the comments down below, but as always, Always, my name's Philip DeFranco. You've just been filled in. I love yo faces, and I'll see you tomorrow.